You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hi, Hellions. I'm Johanna from Austria. And I'm Annie from the United States, and you are listening to your favorite international podcast. Welcome to the first episode in 2021. Thank you so much, though, honestly, for all of your support in 2020. We really all had a hell of a year, didn't we? But we kept going, we made it through, and so let's just keep our fingers and toes crossed that 2021 will be a little kinder. I'm basically a pretzel right now. Like, I'm crossing everything. (laughs) Everything is crossed. (laughs) I'm amazed that with everything we went through this year, we never missed a week. Long distance high five. I'm giving myself a little pat on the back for that one. And you should give yourself (laughs) extras because you also do all the editing. But yeah, I'm really proud of us for... I mean, on top of everything else, both losing parents and stuff, and we never missed a week. So... Yeah. Yeah, yes. All right. Anyhow... We want to send a very special shout out to our newest Patreon members, and they are Ashley Rawls, hi Ashley, Cassie Lynn Blevins, uh, Lisa Murphy, Blair Arnold, hello, see, who else do we have? Is it Ellie or Eli? Ellie? Eli. Arend. Arend. What do you think? Eli? I think it's Eli, but just because I think of the actor, <laughs> so oh, that's what true. do I know? Eli Arend, maybe. Or Ellie. Hi. Thank you. Christina Milhouse, I know. She's a good friend of my husband's who I've assimilated as mine. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Susie Mack, thank you very much. Jamie Lawrence, thank you. Kimberly Menard, I also know in person. Thank you. Blue Rock 85, thank you very much for your support. And Avian Noble, what a cool name. I wonder if that's, that's a cool name. They're all actually really good names. Thanks, everyone. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And if you want to know how you can become a Patreon member, just listen until the end and we'll tell you everything about it. Yeah, that's right. So we're going to start this year with another Austrian case. And I think most of us don't know this one. I know I don't. But thank God we have a resident Austrian on the podcast. (laughs) And she's going to tell us. Yeah, just the one. Um, she'll tell us everything about it. I'm excited for this. I don't know anything about this case. So today I would like to tell you everything about an Austrian serial killer. You don't have that many, right? It's just a few serial killers in Austria. Yeah, Yeah, I think there are less than two dozen cases of Austrian serial killers, known cases. I mean, Mm. who knows what, what has been going on in 1600, whatever, you know what I mean? Of course. But yeah, when you look up in Wikipedia, Austrian serial killers or on other sources, I think they list like 16 cases. So... Uh, so far, we talked about Marta Marek and Czech Unterweger, and today we will travel back to the second half of the 19th century, and I will tell you about Hugo Schenk, who was an imposter, conman, and a murderer. And one of the biggest sources for this case was once more the book Mord in Wien by Helga Schimmer. Is that murder in Vienna? Yes, you're getting really good at, at guessing what things mean. I'm so good. So the book Mord in Wien was the biggest source for me. There were more, but as always, you'll find all of the sources in the according album in our Facebook group. I am ready for it. Are there any warnings? I'm not sure. I mean, it's a it's a serial killer. Yeah. There's no uh, sexual violence thing going on. No. That's not an aspect of it, but it, he's a murderer. So Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. So this all takes place in the second half of the 19th century in the Habsburg Empire. Hugo Schenk was born on 11th of February 1849 in the small bohemian town Chechipodkorishem that's nowadays in the Czech Republic. And this little town where nowadays roughly 1,000 people live lies like 200 kilometers, so that's 124 miles north of Vienna. So 11th of February 1849. How was that time? The young Emperor Franz Josef I had just taken over the throne from his uncle, Emperor Ferdinand I. We talked about that in our first part of the Habsburg Tragedies episode. Mm. If you want to know more about it, go back to that episode. And he took over the throne on 2nd of December 1848, so just two months earlier. And that happened after the bloody end of the October Revolution of 1848 that had cost the lives of over... 2,000 rebels in Vienna alone. So that was the era that Hugo Schenk was born into, an era of revolution and change. He was the son of a wealthy family. His father was the judge in Teschen. That's a Polish border town east of Chechipodkorishem. And I don't know a whole lot about Hugo Schenk's family. I know that he had at least two siblings, two brothers. So one worked as a general practitioner in Maria Tafel, which is an Austrian town in Lower Austria. Uh, it's actually close to where my husband is from. And the second brother was, I think, uh, he was the younger brother. His name was Karl Schenk, and he worked in Vienna as a civil servant for the Kaiserin Elisabeth Westbahn. So that's the Empress Elisabeth Railway. Okay. We also know that Hugo received a very good education, as it was expected for sons from very respected families. But apparently his father died before Hugo finished high school. And I'm using the term high school loosely. Maybe secondary school is more appropriate, but you know what I'm talking yeah, about, yeah. right? Yes. Right around the death of his father, Hugo Schenk started to show his darker sides. He attends military school where he manages to graduate, and afterwards he serves in the 71st Infantry Regiment, which is stationed at the military frontier in the Banat, so that's the borderland of the Habsburg Empire in the southeast. And then around 1870, so when Hugo Schenk was in his early 20s, he somehow fucks up. I think it was some fraud or some, some imposter thing. And he's not only suspended from duty, but he also has to stand trial at the military court in Olmütz, which is a city nowadays in Czech Republic. Back then it was Moravia. And Hugo Schenk is sentenced to five years in prison. Back then the sentencing was called five years Schwerakerka, so aggravated carcer, which meant that he probably had to wear leg irons, had fasting days and had to wear special clothes for inmates. But out of these five years, Hugo Schenk only had to spend two years in prison and is then granted an early release. Okay, well, this sounds very... Like Victor Hugo, very Jean Valjean. This is, <laughs> yeah. um, right? Just that he was not an innocent man stealing bread. No, more yeah. just the leg irons and the... Yeah, it's, it feels like this is when we were sort of... It feels like sort of when, as a society, we were starting to transition from, like, dungeon to prison, sort of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It doesn't sound good. No, no, no. I wouldn't want to experience it. No. So he, of course, as I said, he was also let go from the military. And this then starts Hugo Schenk's civilian life. Actually, he was just on a criminal path from now on. Well, he was a civilian in the sense that at least he wasn't actively involved in the military and committing yeah. whatever crimes he's going to commit. But also, I guess if he had left the prison having, he left the prison after two years. And you know what? He learned his lesson. <laughs> Those leg irons just so chafing, so much chafing. And he was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, 
<sighs> it never happens. That's why we're here. So after his release, he makes his living as a traveling salesman and a rag collector. Oh, a rag collector? Mm -hmm. So I didn't know that either, or maybe I knew it and I forgot about it, but apparently old rags were collected and reused to manufacture paper back then. And this occupation, of course, had him travel a lot through many parts of the Habsburg Empire. Yeah, I did know that, but why? Is there a little rag girl as well as a little match girl? I feel like there's something... Anyway, somebody in the Facebook group will know. But you see this really often with serial killers, don't you, right? Like, they have jobs that take them all over the place. So they're salesmen or truck drivers or rag collectors. And <laughs> that's how they find victims in, you know, faraway places without raising any suspicion or, you know, having cases connected to each other. Because it's not like yeah. you're going to have... At least until computer came around and it was easier to connect cases. Yeah, but it was a long way between leg irons and computers. Yeah. So he also kept up his fraud and he also kept up his imposter thing. And he called himself, for example, Count Boleslav of Wilopolsky. <laughs> and he told the story of how he had to flee from Warsaw because the Russian Tsar was after him. Oh, uh, he also acted as an engineer, a chemist, and a mine owner. And I guess it was pretty easy for him to convince people because he did have this background with a good education. He knew how to talk and how to act properly. And he was supposedly rather charming. So that's all things that help you to, you know, especially back then. I guess if back then you were able to, you know, sound very educated, yes. people were more inclined to believe what you were saying. Absolutely. Yes. And somewhere along the way, his charm did pay off and Hugo Schenk got married. I don't know a lot about his wife, just that her name was Wanda and that she was described as lovely and kind. And Hugo Schenk also fathered two children, uh, two daughters. And then in 1881, Hugo Schenk decided to settle in the Habsburg Empire's capital, Vienna. Vienna at that time was booming. So people from all the Habsburgian crown lands, so there's so many countries, they flocked to the city in search for a better job. They worked as maids, as cooks, as bakers, as carpenters. Often they would only get positions as unskilled laborers. This reminds me very much, and I'm sure this has crossed your mind as well, but this has a very early H.H. Holmes feel to it, doesn't it? Like. Mm -hmm. It's just mm -hmm. in terms of how charming and all of that, and then the whole thing with... Yeah, in a booming city exactly. where so many people come. Yeah. Preparing mm. for the World's Fair versus brand yeah. new city emerging, you know, it's... Yep. And how much the city grew shows us the census, because in 1870, 900,000 people lived in the city. And so only 10 years later, we were at 1.2 million people. And... I mean, I think we can all imagine how busy the city had become. Like, there probably was construction going on everywhere. So many new people arriving every day, mostly young people without families, because they came for work and wanted to send the money back home. Yes. And as you said, like H.H. H. Holmes, nobody would miss them yep. if they would just vanish. Yeah. Yeah. That's not good news. So first, Hugo Schenk has a great idea. He was already a well-versed scammer and imposter, and he had a very magnificent mustache, so like H.H. Holmes. <laughs> Why not put all of this to good use and start a new venture, that of a romance scammer or marriage swindler? Oh, boy. So the 32-year-old places and lonely hearts at... Oh, God, of course he does. I can just imagine him <laughs> twirling his mustache and <laughs> writing with a nice pen. Those good fountain pens. <laughs> oh. 
He's a catch. Uh, he places the ad in the Neue Wiener Tagblatt and he poses as a civil servant, which means obviously a steady job, yeah. good income and a respectable character. One of the women who reply to the ad is Therese Berger. She is so smitten with the men due to his very friendly face and his majestic mustache, I guess, <laughs> but also because he knows some sweet words and he recites cheesy poems, which is so... Ugh. <laughs> you don't like it when people re recite poetry to you? <laughs> Not your jam? No, thank you. Not if it's cheesy. <laughs> so the two get engaged again with huge... Air quotes, because he is still married <laughs> right. and he can't get engaged, but yeah. And the young woman hands her lovely and absolutely trustworthy fiancé all of her savings. Oh. And it comes to all of us as a surprise that the lovely fiancé and his marvelous mustache, poof, they were gone as soon as he had the woman's rainy day fund. Mm. But one thing that was not anticipated by Hugo Schenk, Therese Berger was not stupid. She was not one to just let things go, especially not her money. And so she went to the police and filed a report. Good for her. And Hugo Schenk got arrested, convicted and was sent yet another time to prison for two years. I mean, at least it wasn't two years for a violent offense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like I'm always angry about sentences. And while I don't think two years is necessarily enough for a repeat offender... At least he wasn't violent, so I'm less, I'm less angry. Exactly, no, I agree, I agree, yeah. Uh, guess what prison he gets sent to? Okay, since you asked, <laughs> it has to be an Austrian prison that I know, right? And I only know one, because uh -huh. it keeps coming up in our Austrian crime cases, and that's Stein, right? People already have to think that we're this tiny, super safe country where we just have one prison <laughs> and everybody gets, everybody gets sent there, right? <laughs> Yes, he was sent to the Haftanstalt Stein an der Donau. That's how it was called back then. I talked about this prison several times already, last time in the Ernst Karl episode. Stein an der Donau used to be a redemptorist monastery up until 1850, and then the building and the grounds were bought by the government, and they turned it into a prison. At first, they started to build cell blocks for 800 inmates, but I don't know the reason, but they soon decided to downsize to a capacity of 350 only. I would think that a seminary or a convent would actually translate well to a prison because there are so many just little rooms, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Definitely. That's true. Mm -hmm. So I read in one source that it was around that time that Schenk and his wife separated, which I think is very understandable. But they stayed married, which is also understandable, given the era. Yeah. So... Der in Stein, Hugo Schenk befriends another inmate, which was a man by the name Karl Schlosserek. Karl was 23 years at the time. He was a bohemian locksmith apprentice who was sentenced to Stein for burglary, which I find makes sense as a locksmith, yeah. I guess, if you have this criminal <laughs> inclination. <laughs> yeah. So they get super friends, they are like BFFs, and they decide to work together from now on. And when the two are released from prison... So that's for Schlosserek and in 1883 it's Hugo Schenk. They are joined by Hugo's brother Karl and Hugo already has a plan how they can make money from now on without going to prison again. And let me guess, it didn't involve honest work. <laughs> no, it did not. No. 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 His plan was to trick young men who were looking for work out of their money. Back in those days, it was rather common that people looking for jobs would place ads in the newspapers. So just think of it the other way around as it is today, right? And there were like intermediaries who could get them a job, you know, some kind of job brokers, you could say. Yeah. And these intermediaries would get money for every successful 
match up. Right. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like modern headhunters. Like a realtor for houses, but for jobs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah like a headhunter, just the other way other around. Way. Like I want a job and I go to this guy and he gets me a job. Yeah. Yeah. So Hugo and his sidekicks would act as job brokers, take the money and kill the young man. Because as I said, Hugo Schenk did not plan on going back to prison. So this time he wouldn't leave any witnesses, not like Teresa Berger. Oh, okay. So, all right, I have just one question. I understand that Hugo and Carl Schlosserick would be partners in crime but then why did he get his brother involved he seemed like he had a good steady job yeah that's the weird thing right he definitely had a steady job i'm sure it was a good job it was a secure job maybe the the pay wasn't that great as he was still young right but i'm sure it was a job where you could have great opportunities for the future i was thinking about it. i honestly don't know i read in one source that carl schenk was kind of simple-minded and that he might have trusted his older brother or maybe looked up to him like yeah this cool mustache guy yep i want to be like him i think that makes a lot of sense i think that's often the case with brothers there's one that sort of drags someone else into it who otherwise would never have maybe you know ever gotten a criminal record carl schenk he actually didn't want to get involved in murder which was smart Mm. He told his brother so. He says, I don't want to have anything to do with killing people. But Huku Schenk convinced him that they needed him as a messenger and to be on the lookout for them while they did their dirty deeds. Which is so weird, in fact, because you're going to see the thing, how they their MO, they don't need a third person, really. Yeah. I think. We're going to see. Okay. So Hugo Schenk and Karl Schlossrick, they get a gun and they get other weapons. So I suppose that was knives and poison and drugs and all the things you need to kill people. And they were all set for the first victim. But before we get into the gruesome stuff, we need to take a quick break for a word by our sponsor, Best Fiends. Best Fiends. It's the game everyone is talking about. I love it because it's the perfect break from my research. It's challenging enough because it's a puzzle game, but it's also cute and relaxing, so it doesn't stress me out, which is a nice change from literally everything stressing me out. It's made for adults, but with bright colors and fun characters, it's going to appeal to Hellions of all ages. There are also new in-game challenges and events all the time, so you'll never be bored. Right now, you can still participate in some of their holiday events or help Eleanor build a chateau. That one's fun. You can even play the game without using Wi-Fi. If you have no bandwidth, it's no problem. I think a lot of you know I go every month for an infusion for autoimmune disease, and they have hospital Wi-Fi, but it's like, it's that Wi-Fi that's so lousy, you're better off turning it off. You know the Wi-Fi? It's like airport Wi-Fi, grocery store Wi-Fi, but I can still play without Wi-Fi. And there's just nothing better than having a true crime podcast in my headphones and Best Fiends on my phone to occupy my time during treatments. So please engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. And trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. So it's spring of 1883 and the trio find their first victim. It's a young man who wants nothing more than to work in a mill. And Schlosserick tells him that he knows a place and that he will take him there. And the criminal takes him to an isolated spot. And when he pulls a gun on the young man, the supposed victim fights back. And Schlosserick stands no chance and he can only run off. 
But this one failure doesn't stop Hugo Schenk and his companions. In April of 1883, they meet a young man who wants to work in a clothing store and Schlossrak tells the young man that he should bring the money to their meeting point, which is again an isolated spot in a forest in Vienna. And there they drug and rob the man, but they don't kill him. Mm. The victim files a complaint with the local police, but of course he only knows the fake name of Schlossarek and nothing ever comes of it. So all in all, they are not very successful, so they decide to change their MO. Instead of robbing and possibly murdering young men, it must be so much easier to rob and murder women, right? Ugh. I think they were considered to be more trusting. Of course, sure. Yeah. So they decide to go after young women from now on, women who were already out of the, the age where most women wanted to get married. Mm -hmm. So like 19, 20. I think they went after women who were already desperately looking for a husband, oh. but already had time to, you know, have savings. Okay, so like 25. <laughs> 30. Probably, yeah, 25 to 30, yeah. I guess. Karl Schlossreck, he might have been great to act as a job agent, but he's not charming, he's not impressive, so he's not the one to act as the charming potential fiancé. That's a job for Hugo Schenk and his mustache. The first victim is Josefine Timmal. Hugo introduces himself as a Polish engineer and the two get engaged rather quickly, which is so old-timey, right? <laughs> it's like you exchange five words and you're already engaged. Yes. Well, yeah, because you would burn in hell forever if you had sex before marriage. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, so she hands over all her valuables and her savings and the dowry and Josefine, Hugo and his servant, who of course is Karl Schlosserich. <laughs> of course. They take the train to Moravia, where the wedding is supposed to take place in Weissenkirchen, which is nowadays Hranice. The three exit the train and continue the journey on foot. What exactly happens, nobody really knows for certain, but it looks as if Hugo and Karl subdue Josefine, tie her up, weigh her down with a heavy stone, and throw her into a pond. And her remains are found a year later. Oh, wow. That's awful. Mm. Yeah. Mm, this got real dark. Not that it wasn't dark yeah. before, but now we're... It was still choke-worthy enough, mm. but now it's like we're at the... Yeah. 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 So now they have the money and they have everything of value and they got rid of Josefine. But one thing, Josefine has an aunt, Katharina Timmel, and the murderers are worried that this aunt would surely miss her niece at some point and that she would start asking questions. Oh yeah, I would. You mess with my nieces and nephews and I'm coming mm. for you. Like Liam Neeson. Not remotely. What's your set of skills? <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you or it'll ruin the surprise. So Hugo Schenk convinces Katharina that she should come to live with him and her niece and that she could work as a housekeeper at Mr. Siegel's estate in the countryside. She is absolutely thrilled. She quits her job as a maid. She packs up her belongings and she makes sure to not forget her cash and her savings account. And she meets up with her niece's lovely husband. And he and his servant pick her up from the train station and walk her through the lonely countryside after dark. And that's when they attack her. <sighs> And Hugo cuts Katharina's throat deep enough to hit her cervical vertebrae. And then they take all her valuables. Again, they weigh her down with a stone and they throw her into the Danube. But her body does not vanish. Only a few weeks later, her remains are washed ashore. Oh, I'm seething now. I really don't like these people. No. They're bad. We don't like this these is, people. This, yeah, bad. no. Because she didn't know, did she? She, was, she didn't even have time to be suspicious. He took care of things. Yeah. So yeah. quickly. I mean, can you imagine he, that he went after two 
women from the same family. It's awful. And to be so quick to immediately recognize yeah. that if this aunt doesn't hear from her, something's going to be up. So we got to get rid of her too. And, you know, just immediately including her in the con, it's, um, it's awful. And already the next day, Hugo Schenk just marches into a bank and he cleans out Katharina's savings account. Not a single worry in the world. And nobody's, you know, it, there's nothing weird about it. Like a strange guy coming with a woman's books, yeah. cleaning out her savings. It's just, it's fine. Yeah, I think it would have been fine until just pretty recently, like our lifetime. True. Yeah. yeah. So he gives his brother Karl a tiny percentage, but he shares most of it with Karl Schlosserick. I don't even know why he, why, I mean, the brother, he was not really involved in anything. That's what I don't get. Why would he incriminate his brother like this for no apparent reason? I bet his, well, I don't know. It does make me think that his brother might have been, it just may be slightly intellectually challenged in some way and just trusting and felt like, but then maybe uh, it really makes you feel like he's more of a sociopath because... Mm. You would think that you would want, like, if you if you were doing something like this, if we were, if you and I teamed up and we were Schlossick and Shank, there's no way either of us would get our sisters involved, like, under no circumstances. No, no way. Absolutely not. Like, I would do anything to protect her. So it's like, what kind of man, well, we know what kind of man he's, he's, yeah, yeah he's the worst. It's just strange. I just, I'm, I can't figure out, like, you, why, why? Yeah. Maybe it was also kind of a power thing for him. Mm-hmm. The brother didn't really want to be in there, but he got him to do... like I bet. Yeah. What can I convince people to do? Yeah. So Hugo Schenk and Karl Schlosserek, they are not very smart with money, which <laughs> big surprise there, right? Mm. And they soon need a new victim. And they find one in Therese Kettel. She works as a cook for a count. And when her employers are out of town, Hugo Schenk convinces Therese to steal some of the jewelry in the house and to hand it over to him. And then on 5th of August 1883, he takes her for an outing to Lilienfeld, which is a town at the uh, Alpine foothills. And there on a mountain, they have a picnic and Hugo Schenk convinces Therese Kettel to play Russian roulette. Uh, what? On their picnic? <laughs> mm-hmm. On he just pulls out a gun and says, hey, I know a cool game you want to play. What? The actual fuck. You're in like, you're on a mountain in the Alpine foothills, fucking Edelweiss everywhere. And he's like, let's play. Here's some wine. Here's some cheese. You want to play Russian roulette? Jesus Christ. I thought I had some bad first dates. Wow. Wow. So he demonstrates how it's done. And of course, what Therese doesn't know is that the gun was empty oh. when he pulled the trigger, because, of course, he's a cowardly asshole. Yeah. But that he had fully reloaded it before he did hand it over to her. So Therese shoots herself in the head, <sighs> and he just takes her body and throws it into a ravine, where it's only found in spring of 1884, after the snow has melted. Okay. Uh, Hugo Schenk just goes home, his pockets full of cash and jewelry, and the jewelry he gifts to his girlfriend. I'm sorry. So, so this absolute waste of oxygen that is Hugo Schenk, it oxy it's like if slime had a mustache. He is married, but, well, married, but also has a girlfriend. Of course he does. Yeah. Of course he does. Yeah. It's like a whole Ted Bundy situation. There. Yes. 
Yeah, so he has a girlfriend and her name is Emilia Huxman. On her, he uses the I'm a Polish count and I'm fleeing from the Russian Tsar story. And he even moves in with her. And because he has the Russian secret service trying to find him or whatever he tells her, he has to live incognito. And so, of course, he can't marry her, which she apparently wants, obviously. He fails to mention that he can't marry her because he is already married. Okay. But... Okay. Does she never suspect anything? He must have gone Mm -mm. so many times. He goes away and then he comes back with like valuable jewelry and bundles of money. Where did she think that had come from? So I think he told her that he has to travel a lot for work. Uh, I think he told her that he was kind of an old-timey investment banker and that's where the money came from. And I guess he told her he bought the jewelry for her. And... I think when we decide to trust and love someone, we try to believe their bullshit for as long as possible. Yeah. Even though our gut feeling is already screaming at us. Oh, yeah. I think we've been there. Not to this level of deception. (laughs) Thank thank God. But yeah, uh, I feel awful for the loved ones of these people. Because this woman, now I feel like, okay, it's... I could see if she's you know, as charming as he seems to be. She's got this lovely, charming boyfriend who's going, you know, through all this terrible stuff as a, in hiding, as a spy, which it seems insane, (laughs) but it was also a different time. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I feel, yeah, these people can be very convincing. I think that's part of the Mm. sociopathy. It's like, yeah, they need to be charming to get their victims. Definitely, yeah, yeah. So in October of 1883, Hugo Schenk places another Lonely Hearts ad and two women send him letters. So one is a maid named Josefine Eder. Hugo Schenk gets her to steal from her employers as well. And that's actually the reason why he doesn't murder her. Uh, He plans on keeping her around to steal stuff for him, which Mm. is lovely. Lovely, yeah. And the other one is another maid, Rosa Ferenci. She hands over her savings when she gets engaged to Goschenk. And, you know, then the same story. He takes her for an outing. This time, Karl Schlosserek joins them. The three walk for a while at the riverbanks of the Danube. It's getting dark. There's an isolated spot. The two men use an axe to bash their victim's head in. And then, again, they weigh her down and they throw her into the Danube. But unlike the others, nothing's going to be found of her remains. Mm. So she's never seen again. That's awful. Uh, How many women did Hugo Schenk and Karl Schlosserek murder? And I'm leaving Karl Schenk out here a little bit because, I mean, what did he actually do? He, he, I don't know. He carried around letters, I guess. Yeah, I don't think he's nearly as culpable for things as, you know, Hugo and Carl. Uh, So how many women did they kill? Nobody knows. Some say between 40 and 50 women. So, you know, as I said before, people arrived all the time. People went back to their home countries all the time as well. Of course, yeah. And young maids disappeared all the time and the police really didn't look into it too much at first because if nobody misses you or let's say an employer says, "Uh, my maid didn't show up for work today and you know that 90% of the time the girls just went back to Bohemia, for example. Sure. To their families, yeah. Yep. Or ran off with their husband or just quit or whatever. Exactly, ran off and got married or whatever, yeah. 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 But 
Somebody did miss Josephine and Katharine Trimmel, and they finally reported the two women missing. The police start to investigate, and in the former room of Josephine Trimmel, they find letters from Hugo Schenk to Josephine. Now, I know that he had used the alias Mr. Siegel, so I'm not sure how the police figured this one out. My guess is that he must have used an address to receive mail, right? And I guess that he gave Josefina the address of Karl Schlosserek in the Sturzgasse, which is in the 14th Viennese district. So the police starts to observe the house, and in the early morning hours, they see two men approach the house. It's Hugo Schenk and his brother Karl. Hugo says goodbye to his brother and enters the house. So the police now places officers at every possible exit. The house is basically surrounded. The officers now worry that Hugo might be armed and that he could try to resist his arrest and so they wait for another hour uh, hoping that in the meantime the suspect would, you know, he would get undressed and go to bed. And they were right. Finally, so that's the 10th of January 1884 at 5am, they enter the apartment where Hugo and Karl Schlosserek are sleeping. They arrest the two men and take them to the police station. And two hours later, they also arrest Hugo Schenk's brother, Karl. From the prison cell, Hugo sends a letter to his lover, Emilie, asking her to somehow smuggle some poison to him because he doesn't want to be sentenced to death. Uh, he wants to commit suicide beforehand. <sighs> and really, when Emilie Huxman testifies in court later on, she does try to approach Hugo and she's trying to take his hand. She's prevented to do that thank God, and they do find some poison on her. Oh, wow. In March of 1884, the trio has to stand trial. Hugo Schenk and Karl Schlosserek, they accuse one another, but all in all, the judge deems Karl Schlosserek to be the more trustworthy suspect. The judge, a man named Count Eduard Lametzan-Salins, calls Hugo Schenk a liar. Quote, As confusing as the accused Schlosserek seems to be, I believe him. But you, Hugo Schenk, are lying. You know nothing but lies. I have to call you a liar to the core of your bones. End quote. Oh. All three are sentenced to death by hanging. This case made headlines all over the world and I found an article from the Australian newspaper The Bulletin from 9th of August 1884 and that article is great. Um, I'm gonna post a link to it. You have to read the whole thing. Quote. Schlosserek gazes widely around him. Hugo carefully got up to kill, his fair mustache and whiskers done to a turn, looks about him smilingly, taking stock of the public with bold, cynical glance. Karl Schenk stands listless, a very picture of despair. Schlosserick owns up to his share of the bloody deeds laid to their charge. Hugo seeks to show that it is Schlosserick who is the blood guiltiest. Schlosserick's statements, corroborated by the evidence, are accepted by the court and the general public. Karl Schenk denies complicity in the plot and declares that his participation in the deeds was under his brother's air compulsion. Moreover, he pleads his poor pay as an excuse for taking a share of the booty. His counsel vainly urges that he was not a free agent and that his brother held over his shadow of a man broken down in body and mind, a sort of demonic sway. Though counsels for the other two prisoners have in reality nothing to urge. Guilty of murder is the verdict on all three. They are then sentenced to be hanged, to make reparation in money of the amounts of their robberies and to pay the costs of their trial. They are to be executed in the following order. First, Karl Schenk, second, Schlosserek, third, Hugo Schenk. The court specially holds in regard to Karl Schenk that as it was proved he participated in locating the places of the crimes and that he, quote, held the hands of Josefine Trimmel while Hugo Schenk was cutting her throat, he was equally guilty with the other, question mark, end quote. So they're not super convinced there. <laughs> 
Hugo Schenk listened to the sentence without moving a muscle. Schlossereck looked broken down and his brutal face became deadly pale. Karl Schenk was quiet, but the red spots upon his cheeks showed out more than ever. End quote. Wow. So I think they were not really or sure about Karl's involvement as well, right? Yeah. Okay, so all three men are sentenced to death, but Emperor Franz Josef I pardons Karl Schenk and his sentence is changed to life in prison. It's the 22nd April 1884, an audience of roughly 200 people has gathered in the courtyard of the Landesgericht in Wien. Just 200? That doesn't seem to be a lot for such a high-profile case. Yeah, because public executions were a thing of the past. Um, I mentioned that. In what episode did I mention that? I'm not sure. But the last one had taken place in 1868. Oh, right. And after that, it, there was no public execution anymore. Okay. In that case, I'd like to rescind that statement and instead say that for a private execution, that now seems like too many people. <laughs> That's a lot of people. Karl Schlossereck is the first to step up on the gallows. He seems to be cool and collected, but he had been waiting the whole day for his family to show up and, you know, visit him one last time, but they never came. From the same bulletin article as before, quote, There are about 200 people present, no ladies, mostly gentlemen of the best Vienna society. Amongst others, Prince Solms, Baron Tickville, uh, several actors, Colonel Primrose, British military attaché and others. Primrose catches the scene, seven of the clock, and there enters the commission of justification, the executive officials of the court, the priest and Schlosserek, who holds in his hand a bunch of mayflowers and roses, which his wife had sent him, and who seems calm. When trust the doomed man called out, quote, forgive me loving Christians, end quote. Courage, my son, says the priest, just as the noose is round his neck. The poor wretch sings out, quote, Is there none among you who curses me? End quote. Die in peace, responds the priest. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's... Then, Straight to hell. just as he has shouted out, Lord, pardon my frightful sins, I am cursed on earth. Lord, protect my wife. Schlossreck is turned off into kingdom come. Two minutes elapse and then Hugo Schenk appears beneath the gallows. As he enters the yard, he does not notice Schlossereck's body. But as he is being pinioned, his nasty eye catches a glimpse of the corpse. He makes no sign, however, he is perfectly collected. Quote, pray, greet my wife, end quote. He begs of the priest who nods assent. So, arrived of the nubbling chit and tucked up so neat and so pretty, the rumbler chucked off from his feet and he died with his face to the city, his shrieking spirit flitting along with Schlosserex to the infernal shades with a surely never churned blagger fowler ghost to fright the departed and make even, end quote. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Oh, I shouldn't be laughing through some of that, but I don't know why I'm always surprised when we read these sorts of write-ups in the newspaper. And they're like, the murderer was put to death. And then they end with like, burn in hell, which we would never, never say in print today, right? Like it just would never happen. And I'm always surprised and I secretly kind of love it. It's like this terrible person was put to death today. And the priest, what did the priest say? Die in peace. <laughs> Die in peace. There's your comforting words. I just, I don't know. I think I love it. We think of people in older times being so much more proper, but they were yeah. also petty as fuck and really publicly judgy. And I'm here for it. I just, 
I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's great. <laughs> I know people are being put to death, but these are terrible people. So I'm not going to feel bad about sort of laughing at... Also, the way they, they write it up sounds so much better. They're not just saying burn in hell, you you motherfucker, you piece of shit. Yeah. They just talk about shrieking ghosts and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> I love it. Yeah, it's kind of the best, these write-ups. They're so precious. But I have to say one thing. The execution style was not the best. Apparently, it took Karl Schlossrich seven minutes to die, so they didn't do the long drop hangings. Mm -hmm. But you know the... Yeah, good. I know. Listen, I'm awful. I'm clearly a terrible person after listening to my responses to this episode. But after what he did to those women and girls and men, like, how long did it take some of them to die, to suffocate? Like, it sounds yeah. like he threw some of them into the lakes alive. I'm sorry, but I don't even support the death penalty, but I don't feel sorry for these men at all. Like, yeah. not yeah, at all. Right. It was mm -hmm. very cold and calculating, and it was for money. It's just all the worst possible. They weren't sick. They weren't mentally ill. They weren't. They knew what they were doing. They, yeah. Yeah. They were just after money. That's mm -hmm. it. I, yeah. And they went for the easy prey. That's right. They, they always do. Cowards. Cowards, yeah. So Karl Schlosserick and Hugo Schenk were buried in an unmarked grave at the Viennese Zentralfriedhof, where mm. you have your honey from, by the way. I was just going to say, is that where the honey is from? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Hugo Schenk's head was kept to be examined, and nowadays it can be seen in the Wiener Kriminalmuseum. Oh God, we have to go there. It'll be like on the way yeah. home from the airport. Just let's head right <laughs> to the Kriminalmuseum. <laughs> True. One other news article from the time I found... Hugo Schenk was almost responsible for one last death. One day after the execution of the two murderers, a baker apprentice had a little get-together with his colleagues and, you know, they had a few drinks and a few laughs. Maybe they had a couple drinks too many because the 21-year-old apprentice suddenly decided to reenact the execution of Hugo Schenk. So he tied a noose from a rope that was around and hung himself. And uh, the thing is, nobody paid attention at first. They just kept on chatting with each other. Maybe they were engaged in some very intriguing true crime discussions. Who knows? But finally, they glance over and they see that the young man was not moving anymore. So they completely panic and they cut him down and they call for a doctor. And thankfully, the man could be saved and he recovered quickly after a couple of days at the hospital. Oh, good. Oh, my God. Don't do that at home. No. Don't reenact things like that. Never. Never, ever. And it's it's such a stupid way to die. Yeah, just don't do it. It reminds me of, there was that thing that happened recently in Russia. I say recently, which sometime in the last five years, where I think it was these Instagrammers and they dropped dry ice into a pool at a party. Yeah, I think. And yeah. a bunch of people like immediately asphyxiated. It was awful. That was a great story. I never heard any of that. And those poor families, that's mm. awful. At least the, the family of... So the family of the aunt and the niece that they took advantage of, they got yeah. closure because they saw that he was held accountable. Were the other women yeah. that we know of, that's how we know they admitted to that or they just linked them by the... No, they admitted to those four. Okay. So these are the four official canonical victims. Yep. But there could have been so many more. Dozens, really, that they just never yeah. admitted yeah. to. Oh, it's awful. That was great. Thank you. All right. Should we talk about something good? 
Yes, please, you go first. I'll go I'm going to take a sip. <laughs> uh, there's a plane nearby, so you may hear that in the background. But we had a very nice, quiet Christmas with my dad and Moose. I was sort of dreading the holiday a little. It was my mother's favorite, so I think this is something we both sort of, oof. Mm. But it was nice and quiet, and my dad made a beef wellington for the first time, and it looked excellent. I wasn't well enough to eat it. I did have oh. – it's okay. That happens a lot. I did have a warm roll with that good Irish butter and some mashed potatoes and gravy. You know, people with autoimmune stuff know what I'm talking about. But it was really good. Those rolls were really good. I actually think I might have had two rolls. And we watched a bunch of movies, so I have a couple of really quick suggestions for you guys. So we watched <laughs> – a lot of these are going to be like, these are all years old. Why are you <laughs> suggesting these now? <laughs> so we watched – finally watched Hamilton – and we all loved that, no surprise. If you haven't seen on Netflix, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was excellent, but it's not a feel-good movie. It's the second of the plays by August Wilson that are being adapted into film by Denzel Washington. So Fences was the first one, and then Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is the second. And I think Denzel, who we were just talking about how much we love him in the Facebook mm -hmm. group, he's producing all of these plays into films. And Denzel was also mentor to the beautiful soul that was Chadwick Boseman, who was absolutely brilliant in this film, as was Viola Davis as Ma Rainey. Really good movie. Just, it's not light. So have, you know, keep that in mind. Have Kleenex. On a lighter note, though, we did watch Wonder Woman 1984. And I enjoyed it. I thought the first half, I loved the first half. It just, so much 80s TV nostalgia. I felt like there was a lot that was a sort of homage to the original TV show. The second half was okay. Everyone in it was great. I just didn't love the character of the villain that they had written. But I enjoyed it, and I think it's worth watching. Soul was also lovely, again with the Kleenex. And we did some walking around old cemeteries and drove around looking at Christmas lights. So that was it. It was like movies, organizing, and Christmas lights. And cemeteries. It sounds lovely. It was good. It sounds perfect. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Um, how about me? My something good. My sister slept over from Saturday to Sunday. She's not doing so great at the moment. Mm. And yeah, but uh, it was nice because she slept in my room and my nephew slept in the living room. So it was like, you know, pajama party when we were younger. Of course. I mean, my sister is 11 years younger than me. So we were never like you and Moose. Right. But we still, yeah. Then... I bought a ukulele like three years ago and my sister is so gifted with music. Like she plays the guitar and the drums and the piano and she's great. She does so much composing. She was told me that she was going to try to teach me some, some stuff on the ukulele because I'm thinking that four strings are easier for me to handle than five strings. Sure. Or six. And I'm so not gifted in that department. Like, <laughs> I have no rhythm. I have no sense of hearing, you know, this. I just, I, yeah, I'm not good at it. But I would love to play a little bit at least. And so she taught me three chords. And now I'm strumming good. the beginning of Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, I love that. I love that. I'm really jealous. 
I want a functioning body. Do you play an instrument? Me? I don't know. I took a lot of lessons as a kid. I took piano lessons and flute. And my my school had a program where you did an, an instrument each year as a kid. You could stick with the same one or change. So that's partly why. But I got into singing in... I did my first Gilbert and Sullivan operetta when I was 12, maybe. And then I just stuck with singing for a long time. But I wish I had an instrument. I really wish I had an instrument, but I do not. So I think it's great. I'm thrilled that you're learning the ukulele. We can write songs together. <laughs> like, uh, what's their name? The two women? Um, I don't know. She also played in Raising Hope. Oh, yes. I love her. Something and Oats? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. We have to find that video. But yeah, we could totally write songs about historical murder. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All uh, right. All right. Thank you again to our Patreons. We can't thank you enough for everything. We just uploaded a video of me opening a box that Johanna sent from Vienna, which was exciting. And pretty soon I'll be mailing one to her to record. If you want to support us through Patreon, you can go to patreon.com and search for Fresh Hell Podcast. You'll also find it on our website, which is www.freshhellpodcast.com. And that will give you links to everything you might need, including our merch. We have some great new face masks. What else? Facebook group? Uh, Facebook. Yeah, The Facebook group, come say hi. Yes. It's such a nice such a group. Such a great group. It really, yeah. it's just, yeah. People are always surprised when they finally join and then they're like, why didn't I join before? It's so great here. And they're surprised just, that we actually post in the group. Like we're very active in the group. It's all the time. Yeah. But we just post like <laughs> rent memes. Yeah. Houses. It's memes. <laughs> it's houses. It's like, hey, does anybody know how I can do this thing or find this thing or whatever? Yeah. It's like Facebook with no politics. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's just Such a nice group of people. We love you. We also just really want to send a quick shout out to Hope, who sent the loveliest voice message. Hope, thank you so much. We mm. really loved your message. It meant so much to us. Keep going, girl. You got this. We get so many nice messages, but this was like the second or third voicemail, and it was really nice. It's lovely to hear the voices, I think, of our listeners. It really is. It's so yeah. nice. And I'm I'm working on... We're still responding to messages in our inbox so we'll get to everybody i promise but we really do read everything and we appreciate it so much please 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 leave us a review if you enjoy our show and you want to let us know that or you want to suggest a case or just anything please re leave us a review on itunes i think it's just itunes and spotify right are really the only yeah. places yeah, yeah where you can leave reviews it really does help other people find our show and also just telling your friends about us which i know a lot of you have done thank you is a great way to also help so that was our first episode in 2021 let's all keep our fingers and toes crossed and our arms and be in this pretzel position to have a better 2021 yes and hug your pets say hi to all of them i know there's so many pets now that we know of that we can't name all of no, them no we can't do it it starts to feel we love all of them yeah and hug them Happen. give them a little boop on the nose yeah yeah 
Tell them we said hi. Tell your pets we said hi. And if you are, in fact, still going through hell, keep going. Tschüss. Bye.